like a fish is brought to you by vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Like a Fish Needs a Starship, a bitterly feminist sci-fi podcast. We are your hosts, Steph and Kat. How you doing, Steph? Long time no talk. I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah. I feel like I have to apologize to our four, three listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was definitely my fault that we've been gone for so long. Um. I was in charge of doing the editing for episode four, and it took three whole months. <laughs> um, and that is in part because, I mean, I suck at life just generally, but it is also in part because I suffer from depression, and part of the way it manifests for me is that I feel incredibly overwhelmed by things that are not inherently overwhelming. So in that period of time that the podcast was not being edited, um, you know, my to-do list backed up absurdly. I still haven't done my taxes. Um, <laughs> I have an accountant who got an extension. Okay, all right. I mean, like, as long as you got the extension. I got, I got the extension the week, I think, the day before taxes were due. You are giving me a heart attack. If you're, like, I feel like the next thing you're going to tell me is, like, you're one of those people that gets to the airport 15 minutes before your flight takes off. I am definitely that person. Oh, my God. But like, I, I mean, I, you know. I think it's there the day before, Steph. It's being bad at life. <laughs> um, I want to talk about WAP. Can we talk about WAP? Yes, we can. Um, <gasps> can I preface this with? Yes. I fucking love Cardi B. <laughs> like, so much. it's 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 an actual fandom. I if she had like a channel or a TV show, I would. <laughs> up for it if she had a podcast I'd listen to it I follow her on Instagram I watch all her videos like one time she just posted a video of herself eating a chicken wing and it was like the most amazing thing I'd ever seen <laughs> yeah and the way that I come across this song is I see this tweet by Ben Shapiro who's talking about this song and so I'm like, well, now I have to hear this. And I pull it up on YouTube. And the only version that I could get on YouTube was the quote unquote clean version. You know what? Here's here's what's ridiculous about it. I am a Cardi B fan. So like I knew the song was coming out. I would have like checked it out eventually and watched the video mm -hmm. eventually. But the thing that made me go do it was the group text chain where I think it was Lindsay was like, have you guys seen this Ben Shapiro? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I'm doing and watch this video and that fucking idiot like I know he would even 
the people who are now freaking out on the internet about this song never would have known about it if he hadn't, like... Oh, I know. Well, I never would have known about it if he hadn't clutched his little pearl necklace. And, and so I listened to the song, and it is just good old-fashioned, raunchy, filthy fucking fun. You know, it, it is just, like, lots of fun, and it's a little perverted, and it's just like, who cares? It's fun. Nobody's sitting their five-year-old down and, and telling them to watch this video, you know? And then you have Ben Shapiro, who's just, I mean, horrified. You know, it's not Shakespeare, but Shakespeare wasn't Shakespeare when Shakespeare was writing. I mean, um, their puns are excellent. Yeah, um, no, there is some good wordplay there. Excellent similes. Um, <laughs> it's artistry. <laughs> There, there is a lot of charm to the lyric about parking your truck in this little garage. So then you have this Ben Shapiro who looks like a little elf prince. He's got, and he, he looks a little like Elnor, I think. Um, he, he reads the lyrics, okay? Now, WAP, of course, stands for wet-ass pussy. Okay, so did not know that. Uh, <laughs> I should have... <laughs> lyrics more closely I don't know what I was okay. doing yeah um Ben Shapiro as he is reading these lyrics he will say ass he will not say pussy he he says the p word he says p word bring me bucket in a mop or this wet ass p word and I I haven't had time to who who everyone has asses but only women have p words yeah. oh, I know I've now made it like my personal mission when I have time to go back through like all of his podcasts and all of his tweets to say to see if he used the word pussy when the Trump Access Hollywood tape came out because I really want to know if he treated it differently when a man was saying it like and I'm not saying he did or he didn't I honestly have no idea that's just like a personal curiosity project I have because these are the kind of things I do with my life and this is how I spend my time and this is why the world is going to hell in a handbasket because of people like me um no I just so, <laughs> after, after he gives his dramatic reading of these lyrics, he then, he then goes off on this screed that this song is what the feminists fought for. And he claims that the fact that this song exists demonstrates, nay, proves the success of the movement. That we were never in it for equality under the laws or equal pay for equal work or not being fired for being pregnant or being able to own credit cards in their own name. No, he says, that was all scammed, Stephanie. It was a lie. The real goal this entire time was to make sure that all the men were standing by with a bucket and a mop for our wet ass pussy. <laughs> women to be able to admit that they enjoy sex and to disabuse society of this notion that our chastity is tied to our virtue right and the irony it's like i should be mad at him but i mean i just see his face and i just laugh the the irony of his rant is that he sarcastically says oh well feminism feminism isn't about being a well-rounded person and it's like but aren't you inherently refusing to acknowledge that a woman's sexuality is part of her well-roundedness? It, it, it's just, it defies all, like, I can't. It, it's just so 
who cares? You know, like, why does he... And then the thing, I didn't go down the rabbit hole of all the absurd shit that he said, but the whole thing about, like, clearly if their pussies are this wet, there's something medically wrong with them. Oh, that was, okay, so he tweets this thing. Okay, so I don't actually, like, I have a Twitter account so I can read tweets. I don't post on Twitter. It, it moves too fast for me. I'm too old. But, you know, I have it so I can I can read, you know, catch up with the zeitgeist of the day. And he has this tweet where he's like, oh, well, according to my wife, who is a doctor, if you need a bucket and a mop for your wet ass, P word, um, it means that you have bacterial vaginosis. And it's like, are you fucking dry pussy? (laughs) (laughs) Ben Shapiro has never seen pussy. I guess we should probably move on and uh, tackle season. What what is the show? What are we talking? (laughs) Star Trek Picard. Star Trek Picard. That's right. Season one, episode five. How do I get rid of these pop up ads? commentary to offer I have a million questions <laughs> so okay, that's like our dynamic though yes, so, yes. Like, it's going to be more than normal because okay that's fine raised a lot of like hmm questions for me and reading okay. I was like okay all right information but go ahead I mean I really just like made up things to answer your question I have no idea whether or not it's true but but we'll see um, I, I do have to tell you that originally when I saw the previews for this episode 10,000 years ago, um, I was absolutely dreading it. I was like, oh my God, Picard in an eye patch, Rios is in a outfit that can best be described as pimp in a bag purchased from Spirit Halloween. You know, I'm like, this is going to be a fucking disaster, but it wasn't as bad. Is as I thought it could be. Um, it was it was cute. It was fine. It had the Frakes touch, directed yeah. by Jonathan Frakes. Um, so we open up the episode with another flashback, as the series is wont to do. This one is to Planet Vergesen, Vergesen, thirteen years ago, and we have some lovely music playing in the background, and it's quite the contrast to the unnamed Starfleet officer who is screaming in abject terror and pain. He is having his eyeball extracted, and it looks like, whoops, his surgeon forgot the anesthesia. Um, As the eyeball comes out, can't believe I typed that, but I did, we see that it's got like a little robot part attached to it, and it's not connected by an optical nerve, it's connected by wires, because that's right, it is a Borg implant. 
And the surgeon casually asks him, where's your cortical node, buddy? Got to be in there somewhere. She's about to start drilling a very large hole in his head when she hears a noise and she calls out for bejazel. But it's not bejazel. It's seven of nine. And she's here <laughs> to rescue our victim, who is Icheb. Okay, do you know who Icheb is, Steph? I, this is one of my questions. I, so I was like, okay, is this like a real person in Star Trek canon? Or is uh-huh. it they made up this character for her to have like a blood feud about... No, each each of is real. If you ever manage to stay conscious through Voyager, and I understand that it's it's a tall order, each of was one of four Borg kids who were rescued by Voyager in the Delta Quadrant, and he formed he was the oldest. He formed a pretty close bond with Seven. You know, she became like the kid's kind of surrogate parent on the ship. But anyway, the reason that the surgeon could not find his cortical node is because he don't have one. He donated it to Seven when hers started to malfunction. And because he was relatively young, his brain was able to um, adapt to function without his cortical node. So that's why he doesn't have a cortical node. And your cortical node when you're a Borg is like a little CPU in your brain. Anyway. Really cool, like thing to throw in there you know it's yeah because like, like somebody who's not like a real fan who's sat through and watched all the different you know iterations of the show would never know that you know, right and and it's like i i i listen and i see and i watch things like that and it's like oh see you motherfuckers can't pay attention to continuity which <laughs> by the time we get to episode nine they just throw out the window and i will have like amazing rants about that i'm surrounded by idiots Seven kills this woman and whatever she did to Egypt prior to ripping out his eyeball was bad enough that he's like, Jesus, end it now, which she does. It's very sad because Seven's relationship with Icheb was very maternal at a time when she was getting more open to exploring her, you know, human side. Um, and also Icheb's death will set the stage for Seven's revenge arc this episode. Reverse bridge. I'm into it. Yeah, me too. Um, the actor who plays Echeb here is not the original Echeb from Voyager. Um, the original Echeb was played by an actor whose name I'm probably going to butcher, um, Manu Interami. And judging by Manu Interami's Twitter account, he was not asked back. He did not seem pleased about it. You can find other cool things on Manu Interamy's Twitter account, including a prolific defense of Kevin Spacey and a disparagement of actor Anthony Rapp, who was molested by Kevin Spacey's teenager. Uh, Anthony Rapp plays Paul Stamets on Discovery. So I can kind of see why they didn't invite this asshole back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm on I'm bored with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like I said, it was cool. I when I originally saw this episode before I saw your notes, um, I mean, I didn't really care for the revenge arc, um, but the, it gives it more legitimacy to know that there is an actual background uh, to it, and it wasn't just like pulled out of thin air, you know? Right. No, there. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely actual backgrounds. Um, so you you had some questions. Yeah, I do okay. have another question. So okay. can you explain the scrapping Borg parts to me? Because, like, why are we harming the Borg? Is there a difference between what Bejazel is doing and what they're doing on the cube? Like, Yes. So the Borg, um, obviously, they, you know, they're 
cybernetic, the Borg have very advanced technology, which they have assimilated from thousands of species across thousands of worlds. It's very valuable. Uh, races want to get their hands on it. They can learn from it. They can co-opt it, you know, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. So you have two different things going on on the artifacts, which I don't really know that this show really ever explained how the Romulans got their hands on the artifact. I guess that's neither here nor there. But on the artifact, which is owned and operated, I guess you can say, by the Romulans, they have allowed this Borg Reclamation Project to operate there. And the Borg Reclamation Project, as best as I can tell, is all about rescuing the Borg from the collective. And it seems to be a really gradual process. So you have this artifact, which is a cube that broke down for reasons that we'll get into in later episodes. And once a Borg cube breaks down, it's cut off from the collective, when it's convenient for the plot anyway. But in in the show, it was convenient for the plot. So I think, though, that the Borg, even though they might be cut off from the collective, they're still connected to the cube or they're still connected to each other. So there must be some process of undoing that. And then the reclamation project would begin to remove their implants and begin restoring them to some sense of individuality, some sense of, you know, trying to get them back to where they were before they were assimilated. Um, That, I think, is where the interests of the reclamation project and the Romulans diverge. So you have the project for which some Romulans work under the guidance of Hugh. They're interested in reclaiming the humanity or the Klingonimity or, you know, whatever it is of the ex-Borg. The Romulans were interested in selling the parts. You know, they wanted to get the parts. They wanted to analyze the parts, sell the parts. So, you know, their interests were aligned until the interest diverged. Um, But Jazel is not interested in reclaiming the Borg. Bejazel is interested in ripping the cybernetic parts out of living ex-Borg and maybe even a few still-Borg. Uh, didn't care whether or not they were killed or maimed in the process. Okay. All right. What her larger motivations were, you know, they don't really explore that. Does she have, like, some beef against the Borg? She seems like she's just in it for the money and the criminal notoriety, basically. Yeah, okay, so that makes sense because that yeah. was- what are we, does someone need a cortical node? Like, but okay, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, you know, my iPhone is losing power pretty quickly. And maybe I can like plug it into a cortical node and get a quick recharge. So our next flashback is to two weeks ago to Stardust City on the planet of FreeCloud. We're in a lounge. We have a human piano player. She's wearing a dress that has sequins and iridescent fringe. I need it. I want it. Um, Then we have a lady in a very sparkly cat suit that has like some very excellent shoulder detailing. It's like this floating lattice. It was awesome. Um, she gets approached by this guy who looks like they stole the thing from Fantastic Four's prosthetics and threw him on this dude. Yeah, that was weird. I know. And she gets told that Bruce Maddox is in the house and she instructs her thing to kill Maddox, but then she changes her mind. So this is Bejazel. Um, is this name ridiculous or is it fucking awesome? It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um... I think what happened here is that the writers were maybe not familiar with a short-lived fad in the early 2000s, the jazzle. This episode of Like a Fish is brought to you by Vaginas. 
when your pussy is not too wet, you can <laughs> bath in crystals and glitter onto it. <laughs> you can you can attach adornment and other decoration. <laughs> and that would be called the javeling. <laughs> Yeah, so I actually like to look this up because we might need to like drop the sound clip of a person actually pronouncing the word vagina. We're gonna have to. <laughs> um, the definition is actually in its verb form, um, and it, it's informal speech. Uh, adorn the pubic area of a woman, of you know, because obviously it's a vagina, so um, with crystals, glitter, and other decoration. And then in its noun form, it is a beauty treatment in which a woman's pubic hair is adorned with crystals, glitter, or other decorations. So yeah, it's the, it's not the vaginal canal, which is actually, this came up in one of my cases where I had to explain what a vagina is, um, technical definition. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> but anyway, um, and bejazel are just too similar and it's too ridiculous and that is that's my uh <laughs> that's my so, I'm reading the official definition of the word vajazzle which you so generously provided to me um <laughs> as you pointed out it is both a noun and a verb yeah. the verb is to adorn the pubic area of a woman with crystals glitter or other decoration but then just like your fifth grade spelling bee it uses the word vajazzle in a sentence and yeah. the sentence is when the series debuted it kicked off a certain amount of fascination with the glamorous world of fake tans and vajazzling what the fuck series are they talking about and where can i watch this i think it was paris hilton it was the paris hilton show oh boy okay pass Never mind. I'm telling you, it was a whole thing. It was like, do you recall the crystal tattoos? Um, I mean, I definitely remember that, like, jeans in the early 2000s were incredibly low slung. I mean, you could not even sit down in these jeans without showing everything you had to offer. And that there was adornment of the areas that were exposed by the jeans. I do remember like the crystal tattoos around the belly buttons. I do remember that. Yeah, so basically like that, but just like on your vagina. Um, and not to get too far off the topic here, but um, in the early 2000s, when I wore jeans like that, I thought high-waisted jeans were so uncool. And I oh, me too! And I am so glad that that is the fashion in our 30s because can you imagine if we were going through our 30s in the fucking early 2000s and we had to deal with low rise, extra low, low rise jeans, it fucking blow my brains out. <laughs> <laughs> I need a high waist mom <laughs> jean. Anyway, so then uh I, I, preferably the ones that have like a giant row of buttons going all the way up but anyway not to get too far into the world of vajazzling but then i got stuck in like a wikipedia hole about it and just kept reading and reading and reading um and this is <laughs> I'm fucking fascinated with this. <laughs> it is fascinating. I'm, I mean, I'm sad that it's, like, not a thing anymore. Um, you know, but anyway, uh, bedazzle is a portmanteau word. Right. Because it combines bedazzle and vagina. 
<laughs> so, um, you know, looking up the term, the website Britannica.com came up and it explains that Lewis Carroll was the first person to coin the term portmanteau in Through mm -hmm. the Little Glass, where Alice recites a nonsense poem to Humpty Dumpty and is asking for explanations of what the words mean. And one of the words in the poem is mimsy. M-I-M-S-Y. Uh, and okay. I read this word because it really sums me up um, in my life and everything that I do. Uh, flimsy and miserable. <laughs> then, no. It went on to give examples of words that are portmanteaus that I did not realize were, you know, because some are obvious. But right. uh, so smog is smoke and fog. And I don't know if that makes me an idiot, but I didn't know that. And chortle is chuckle and snort, which I also didn't know. <laughs> I mean, that's my uh, digression into the wonderful worlds of the English language. <laughs> well, my experience has definitely been enriched, so I, th I thank you for that. Um, but back to the show, so Bejazel. <laughs> yeah, she is covered in a lot of sequins. She is. I mean, it's yeah. a, maybe they... Oh. It's a look. Maybe they did it on purpose. Maybe they did. Um, but Jaisal goes to see Maddox, who, is she human? You know, that, that's what I wanted to know, because it's like a very kind of, you know, non-familiar name to us. But, you know, names evolve. So, I don't know. She I seems mean, human, but. I also assume that she was the Troy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because she did. She looked a lot like Marina Sirtis, and you were not the only person to notice that. I mean, I had to actually Google it because I was like, mm -hmm. did they put her, did they create like a strange double cameo, you know, like. Yeah. But no. Un Uncanny Valley Troy. Yes, exactly. Um, yes. No, you know, it's a different actress. Yeah. Um, so, but Jaisal goes to see Maddox, who is in like some like lounge area of this place where, where she operates. And. <laughs> He goes to see him, and the first thing he says is he's like, I'm in hiding. And it's like, that seems like the sort of thing you wouldn't want to announce if you were actually in hiding. Yeah, you know. It's kind of like how whenever I would get drunk in my 20s, I would go up to people and loudly announce that I was drunk. But, okay, so, uh, hot take. <laughs> Bruce Maddox is also the idiot that sent to robot spies into the world, but embedded them with trusting natures. So, so what's, what's it sense that he would open to a person who definitely would have an interest in selling him out to the tall Shiar and being like, hey, I'm in hiding. But <laughs> so funny enough, I recently, like within the last couple of days, um, rewatched Measure of a Man, the original Bruce Maddox episode. And Bruce Maddox, comes in and you know he's telling Picard and Data that he has this plan and he wants to build an army of Datas and he thinks that he's mastered this and that and whatnot and so Data's like so you've built a positronic brain and Maddox is like yeah and Data's like well how have you solved the problem of degradation of the such and such pathways and he's like uh, well, I'm close. And then Data's like, well, how have you, how do you plan to tackle the XYZ conundrum? And Maddox is stammering. And then Data's like, you're a fucking moron. I don't, I don't want you disassembling me. And I feel like nothing's changed. 
he still is um, white man's confidence man. Just, you know, thought he was smarter than he was. Just show up. <laughs> yeah, just show up and fail up. Yep. You know, absolutely. All right, so continuing with the trend, uh, this is not, once again, the original Maddox, which is sad because the original Maddox was played so, so well by an actor named Brian Brophy. I mean, this guy was just so fucking smug, and the, the actor did a really amazing job. And, you know, Brian Brophy does not seem to have a defensive Twitter account. In fact, Brian Brophy is actually the current director of theater arts at Caltech. So it's kind of a shame that he didn't come back for the role. But, you know, he's a person. He has things and reasons, I'm sure. Um, Or the idiot creators of the show just didn't think to ask him. Um, But anyway, so Maddox says the Tal Shiar destroyed his lab and now he's not going to be able to pay Bejazel's loan back. Um, Bejazel's like, that's cool, man. I'm just going to poison you and sell you to the Tal Shiar. What did you think of uh, Jazzle's outfit? Oh, totally into it. Oh, yeah. All the villains in this show, for the most part, that we've seen are, like, well-styled. Yeah. I'm into the costuming on this show. I really am. Um, Bejazel is wearing this, like, sparkly beige bodysuit. Like we talked about, it's got, like, this lattice work at the shoulders, like these cages. It's very campy sci-fi but done in a way that seems like an homage, um, which is something that this show will do poorly in later episodes. (laughs) Um, It is Kim Kardashian at a Met Gala where the theme is sci-fi. You know, I wish that the Met Gala would do a sci-fi theme. They did, they did something four years ago. They did fashion in the age of technology, um, which I think was supposed to celebrate the influence of like technology and evolution of design techniques, but mostly inspire people to dress like robots because Hollywood, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you said you noticed a ring. I actually didn't notice a ring that she was wearing. It was like a claw thing. Oh, okay. It has like finger attachments to it. Oh. Totally into anything that adds to your base level of evil looking. <laughs> so yeah, totally. I'm like keeping a little Pinterest board of all the like super evil looking jewelry I can find and stuff for when I finally complete my um, origin story arc. We go back to La Serena and Picard is in his hollow wine acre watching a pop-up ad for Free Cloud, the tea partier's dream with its minimal restrictions on personal liberty and whatnot. Yeah, this is the capitalist dystopian hell, I would say. Yeah, yeah. We haven't even seen the place yet. We'll see We'll see it later, but we haven't even seen it yet. Um, Seven comes in, and Picard pauses the ad, which looks like it was featuring a stripper, so I don't know if he's, like, turning it off out of courtesy or if he's turning it off out of embarrassment. Like, you know, you're watching porn and your kid comes in the room and you're like, nothing to see here. Is is that happening a lot in your household? (laughs) (laughs) No. to listen to a WAF on the days that my daughter is with me. 
no, no, no. So I love Rick and Morty, and eventually yeah. I hope we do like a series of podcast episodes on Rick and Morty. Um, but I recently binged a season four. I finally just like broke down and bought it because I kept waiting for it to come on Hulu or whatever. It never did. Um, yeah. I'm basically Rick is making fun of Morty for having a Pornhub account. He's like. <laughs> Who even does that? Like, who signs up for an account? And, <laughs> <laughs> and Morty has this, like, awesome explanation for why it totally makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. We, we, I mean, like, if, if you have videos that you like and you it's like, why do I have an account at Nordstrom, you know? So I can go on the website and like things. So I can come back to them later. Yeah, I would imagine that's why you have a Pornhub account. So that's basically what Morty says. He's like, well, if, if the algorithm will learn your preferences and <laughs> better, better for you. And then if you're into some like, you know, weird stuff and eventually you date someone who's like also kind of cool, you can share a Pornhub account so they can see what, you know, stuff you're into. And <laughs> Rick was like, okay, you sold me on it. You sold me on it. <laughs> oh, I love that show. This so is much. a hell of an episode. I got to tell you. Yeah. Um, yes. I think, I think uh, WAP just got into our brains for everything. It really did. It really did. It's all WAP all the time. We are, we are now living in a WAP society. <laughs> There's pre-WAP, post-WAP. <laughs> It's Cardi B's world, and we're just living in it. <laughs> um, seven, seven wants bourbon. My kind of gal. I, you know, some feminist beef with this scene. Tell um, me. So I don't drink much, okay, uh, for various reasons. Um, but when I do drink, I mostly drink bourbon, mm-hmm. and it's not because. I want to present as like a motherfucking badass woman because I like bourbon, you know, it's not because I'm trying to like perform masculinity. And honestly, if you included, most of my friends are that way. Like Mm -hmm. at this age, we're all drinking for a purpose. You know, like it's to get from point A to point B and the fastest way to point B is bourbon (laughs) and not like a skinny apple teeny you know and so I think it's I just think it's like it's like everything else in the show it's shorthand for something it's supposed to indicate to us that she's like a hardened salty like badass but the reason that it's that shorthand is because it's associated with like you know, tough masculinity to be somebody who like shoots bourbon or whatever. Very much so, because you know, you you would expect, you know, the the look on Picard's face after she asked for the bourbon is like, you you know, sure you don't want to waste some Fendel, little lady. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. So, and that's why I was just kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> no, it is, it is, it is kind of bullshitty. And I remember going, so I think it was like a wedding or something like that. And I ordered an old fashioned or a Manhattan. It was some kind of bourbon based drink. And the bartender was like, that's a stiff drink for a young, you know, like a stiff drink for a pretty little miss. And I'm like, fuck you, put extra in it, you know? Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to ask for extra cherries. <laughs> well, obviously I might have a jar of Luxardo cherries sitting in my fridge right now. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm so badass. <laughs> it's just, see, it's just silly. It's so silly. 
silly. I just no, thought I mean, it was like a there, there are certain things that I do. It's like I go out. Well, I mean, I did go out. Nobody's going out anymore. But, you know, I would order like a dirty martini. If I could just have them like give me a martini glass of blue cheese stuffed olives, if that was like a socially acceptable thing. Yes, that would be what I would what I would be ordering. Wait, um, you don't just do i do that <laughs> just like extra extra olives just make my drink a food item just actually give me like the jar of blue cheese stuffed olives and i will just fucking drink that juice i will get drunk via some other means um but yeah i mean if if i if i am drinking for effect it's bourbon or scotch if i am drinking for the experience and the appreciation, it's red wine. Um, and I order, I, I like red wines. I am by no means an expert or a connoisseur, you know, um, but, I, but I do enjoy red wine. I do like different kinds of red wines. I actually just ordered like six bottles of red wine, which is fucking ridiculous because I mean, I can't drink more than two glasses and then you have to throw the bottle away because red wine doesn't keep, but whatever, I, I do it. It's that is news to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did um, not know that. It, it gets very sweet and it will turn. It'll, 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 I don't know if they call it corking when it turns after you open it, but like something happens with the oxidation process and it gets like a really sickly sweet and it gets thick. Um, I find personally mm-hmm. that it, the type of alcohol I'm drinking will affect like the type of drunk that I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. So like, if I drink bourbon, it's like warm your cheeks, happy, smiling. Yes. Like, you know, like when yes. you go pee, you're like, this is so fun. You know, it's like that. Um, and if I'm drinking wine, it's like I'm going to start crying in three, two. <laughs> Interesting. See, like, so, so bourbon to me is like a celebratory drink. You know, bourbon and scotch. Like, I, I recently won a trial. <laughs> And we celebrated with a little scotch and, you know, to me, so that's like the celebratory drink. Red wine to me is the, it it serves the purpose that you described. And it's also the um, relax at the end of a long week, have a glass of red wine. And I know that if I have two glasses of red wine, God, I'm going to have a good night's sleep that night, you know? so I'm exactly the opposite. Really? I, like if I drink, I'm going to have like anxious, uncomfortable sleep. Like that's why I've never, I would love to love drinking because I would like to just drink myself into oblivion sometimes. But it's, <laughs> it's not enjoyable for me. <laughs> I don't love it. I, and, and I only, I only drink once a week. I only drink once a week. Um, I have a cheat day, it's either Friday or Saturday, and I have, like, one glass. No, 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 no judgment whatsoever, but, like, I just, I wish I was that kind of person who could, like, enjoy drinking, like, a glass of wine and having that be relaxing, but it just makes me anxious. Did we ever go to the Blue Martini together? Uh, We must have, because we've been friends. Oh, my God. Do you remember, like, being in our 20s and going to the Blue Martini and spending $12 on a cocktail, which frankly was actually very cheap. We live in South Florida, $12 for a cocktail where they bring you the shaker and you actually get like two cocktails. Is, it's is a bargain. A pretty, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good bargain. And I would go and I would be in my mid twenties and I'd be like, I'm going to have the espresso martini. And this thing comes out that looks like a goddamn milkshake with like the pattern of chocolate looking like bejazel's shoulder pads. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I am so worldly and sophisticated. 
wearing my bootleg jeans and my sateen, not satin, mind you, sateen, going out top. <laughs> yeah, so we definitely did the that. The 2010s were a fucked up time. My go-to drink, uh, and again, because like I said, this is a function of age and not gender. <laughs> right, right, it is. No, absolutely it is. Um, my drink of choice back then was uh, like a white chocolate martini, because I can't just have regular chocolate that's not like cool enough <laughs> now i will do i will do like a spiked hot chocolate around christmas time i do enjoy that but you know i i do i this is a discussion for another time but i am like a giant christmas nerd like Christmas throws up in my house every year i cook huge dinners that no one in my house ever ate um and I have gotten into the tradition of, like, making myself a special Christmas cocktail on Christmas Eve. You know, once my daughter is in bed, the food is all cooked, the presents are all wrapped, it's just me. It's usually, like, 11 o'clock at night. Um, I, I will make a cocktail for myself. Um, last year it was, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. It was, like, a dirty chai type of a thing with liquor oh, okay. in it. This year, it is going to be a spiked hot chocolate. I, I have already scouted out the recipe and put it on my Pinterest board. Um, it's happening. It's happening, Stephanie. That's fun. I like that. Yeah, yeah. If if we ever get out of this goddamn fucking nightmare that is quarantine, I would actually like love to have you and, and some of our other friends over and do like a giant dinner party with a tablescape and all of like the domestic bliss mommy vlogger <laughs> shit that like is my alternate life. See, I, I would totally be down for that because it's the only exposure I get to stuff like that because I am not domestic. I wish I were. Like, I can't cook. I, I don't clean. Actually, one time, uh, somebody who was, like, a friend of my mom's, so not, like, someone who I'm friends with, was asking my mom's permission to court me. I don't know. It, like, weird... Okay. Weird Latin people stuff, like a old, much older man, but recently, and right. she didn't think it was appropriate. Um, which, like, I'm glad no one asked me about it. You know, even though I'm like a divorced woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but then the way she finally got this guy to stop asking about me was to tell him that I did not cook or clean. <laughs> And he, his response to her was, well, but what if I give her a lot of love and care? And she's like, nope, nope, she's, she's not going to cook or clean. She's not going to do anything. <laughs> Which, like, all right, true, but I think I still would make an excellent wife. <laughs> Which I did once before. <laughs> so anyway, I do have a question about Seven of Nine. Okay. So obviously... Seven of Nine and Picard is a, like, jaded nihilist. Right. Like, essentially. Um, is she like that in Voyager? Yeah. Or, or was she soul-crushed after the events in Voyager? No. Um, so, basically, her, her arc in Voyager is... Oh, my God. I mean, the way that she's introduced, it's so fucking dumb. Like, Vo Vo I'm sorry, Voyager ruined the Borg, and I'm still very bitter about it. Voyager <laughs> Um, they kind of do like a, 
Lacutus thing where the Borg are like, we need to appoint a representative to speak with the humans and they choose seven of nine. Um, and to make a long story short, they defeat the Borg and wind up with seven on their ship. And the doctor um, reclaims her, you know, Borg reclaims her, forces her basically back into her humanity. And she has, and she's very Borg-like. She was actually assimilated as a very young child. So, like, barely remembers her life as a human. Um, and they, she gets into all of these philosophical, I mean, fucking knocking the Bechdel test out of the park discussions with Captain Janeway about, you know, I want this. You're forcing me on this path that you've set out for me. You're forcing me to, to be human in the way that you want me to be human, but I have to find my own path. It's really cool. So, you know, she's very kind of robotic. She's very stern. She's very emotionless. And as the series does progress, you do see her, um, exploring some human pursuits. Um, she becomes very close with the doctor. The doctor is actually a hologram. He's the emergency medical hologram. So they're both like exploring sides of themselves. Um, she takes up music. She takes up singing. She takes up dating. She dates fucking Chakotay, a sentient piece of wood. Um, although given, given what we learned about Seven in this episode and later episodes, like that, that makes sense. Isn't, isn't that too many characters with, like, a side, like, an asymmetrical face decoration? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, well, that's too many. That's, that's the hallmark of Chakotay's vague Native American spirituality. Yes, like, what, what, tri- what tribe is that tattoo from? <laughs> yeah. yeah, all I remember, I, like I said, I've never, I've only seen her in, uh, like, ad, you know, right. like, I've not seen the episodes that she's in yet. And every time that they show her, like with the rest of the cast or whatever, she's just like in a 90s prom updo and a cat suit. So that's all I know. Yeah, because very- I mean, when, when she was originally introduced, it was like Star Trek Voyager, now with tits. But she, <laughs> she's a good actress and really did bring a lot of dimension. And I, and I do think the writers really did try to give her really good storylines. Um, and she was a welcome addition to the show as, as far as, as far as, um, as far as I remember. So we do learn that the Fenris Rangers, which seven is a part of, they keep their money on free cloud. So it's apparently both a tea party Haven and the Swiss bank of the galaxy. Um, Picard broke seven into his mission by promising, um, extreme hopelessness and bottomless bourbon refills, Again. which sounds yeah. very much like my life as, as we approach, I don't know, however many months of quarantine it is. These notes say six weeks. These notes were written a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're just in a never-ending quarantine now. Do you you remember, did you ever watch a show on Nickelodeon called Rocco's Modern Life? Um, yes. Do you remember when Filbert got the fortune cookie that said, Dad, luck and extreme misfortune will infest your pathetic soul for all eternity? watch it oh there's a lot okay so the, the themes for this episode seem to be the 90s and vaginas anyway um on the bridge rios and raffi are gossiping about how both seven and picard are ex-borg which is really interesting to me because picard being an ex-borg is something that tng explored for 
one episode. <laughs> exactly right. one episode. Like, does it, everyone really think of him as being ex-Borg? Like, I thought that was a really interesting point that you brought up. Like, I know that he was a part of the Borg for two seconds. Right. You know? like, yeah, not not very long. And then they do this one episode, which is actually a really amazing episode, um, where, you know, after he's deborgified, he goes back to Earth. And cause they were really close to Earth when this happened. And he goes to the family vineyard and... Uh, hangs out with his brother Robert and his nephew Renee. They of the dying of the fire in a later TNG movie, um, and he like has a fight with his brother because you know that's how dudes settle things. And in the middle of the fight, he like processes his trauma, and it's actually like a really beautiful moment. Um, in in the episode, uh, the movie, the first first contact there is a reference to, you know, the Borg are coming and they don't want the Enterprise to lead the fight against the Borg because it would inject an unstable element because Picard was formerly a Borg. So there is a reference then to him being a former Borg. Um, the other reference, the other major reference, um, Hugh, when the crew of the TNG picks up Hugh for the first time, he recognizes Picard as Locutus. Um, the only other real major reference, interestingly enough, comes in the pilot episode of Deep, Deep Space Nine, which is a fucking fascinating show. Um, you should get into Deep Space Nine. It's it's 90s dark. So I was trying to watch because I know that they occupy the same time span, sort yes. of, or overlapping yes. time spans in the you know timeline for mm-hmm. Star Trek. So when I started watching Voyager, I did also start watching Deep Space Nine, and I was trying to do it the way that it was aired, but it's just too much effort. So I'm going to finish Voyager and then get into Deep Space Nine. Right. But I like I like Deep Deep Space Nine. I, I, I mean, do, and and there's a, there's they, I actually just watched a documentary on Deep Space Nine, which was really interesting. Um, and there's a lot that I that I can say about that, but um, Cisco in Deep Space Nine, Captain Cisco loses his wife at the Battle of Wolf 359, which is the big battle where Picard is Locutus and, you know. Oh, that's right. I remember yes, that. Yes. Right, right. So when he he meets Picard in the pilot episode, because it's the whole crossover thing, and the Enterprise is there to drop off Chief O'Brien, who's going to Deep Space Nine, um, and Picard wants to see Cisco, and Cisco's like, I met you before, and Picard's like, where? We met in battle, and Picard's like, what? And Cisco's like, yeah, dude, you were a bore, and you fucking ass murdered my wife, and Picard's like, awkward! Yeah, like, don't be a douche, it's not like he did it on purpose. <laughs> There's a whole... Oh my god, it, it's it's so interesting. Deep Space Nine is so interesting. It involves the concept of aliens who exist in non-linear time. I'm telling you. Uh, okay, do I need to just stop watching Voyager? Yes, yeah, you really do. Deep Space you really Nine. do. <laughs> get, get into Deep Space Nine. Um, but anyway, so to me it was really interesting that it's like, you know, Seven spent almost her like entire young adulthood in the Borg. Picard was a Borg for like three days max, and they're both thought of as equally ex-Borg by Rios and Rafi. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, we cut to Gerardi, who is just like in the previous episode, she's out of her angelic innocent blues. She's wearing slate gray, and she's watching a video of her and Maddox 
baking cookies and canoodling because, of course, they were lovers. This is and of course, so stupid. I know. She was his student and he was her teacher. And what the fuck is up with these writers and the weird fucking sexual dynamics on the show? You've got Narissa and Narek. And you've got Gerardi, who, God forbid, she can, like, platonically love and respect and admire Maddox as a mentor or a father figure. No, no, gotta be fucking him, you know? Right, exactly. And even knowing how this episode turns out in the end and knowing how this entire series goes, it doesn't add anything. There is no plot based on them being in a romantic relationship that could not have been equally served by her platonically loving him as a mentor. Right. Absolutely none. All like, it does is make Maddox fucking creepy, creepier, because he's right. already a creepy dude, right. and open the door to criticism that Gerardi slept her way to becoming the Earth's foremost expert on artificial intelligence. Not fucking cool. Not right. Cool. I, yeah. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I actually do have a relationship like this uh, where, you know, it's like a much older man. I was his intern. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is not going where it sounds like it's going. But no, I'm just I saying never. I started my career with him, you know, and, and that's he's like a father figure. Like it's not sexual in any shape, way, form, but like extremely close bond, you know, like. Because you do develop that those kinds of like familial feelings for people who invest in your career and stuff, um, you know, and it, like guide you through the maze of starting your life as you know a college grad or whatever it is. Um, so this was completely unnecessary, you know, like, and it was fucking weird. Like yeah. the, these two actors, I mean, I don't know if it's just me, but the girl who plays Gerardi. She seemed like she was like disgusted. <laughs> it was disgusting. <laughs> yeah, and and let's talk about the age issue here because okay, you've got the whole like May December romance, whatever. But the actress who plays Gerardi, Allison Pill, is thirty four, and Bruce Maddox left Earth fourteen years ago. So let's do some basic math, which I know we're lawyers, but we can do some basic math here. 34 minus 14 is 20. So, <laughs> so she didn't unless, go to college for anything. Yeah, and he was her mentor, like, at the Daystrom Institute, I guess. And she was there for a while. So it's like you're bumping right Assuming that she's playing close to her age, the time frame works out where you're like, ugh. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. I I mean, just just stop. It's just just a a stupid layer. You can love another human and have it not be a romantic love. And to be perfectly honest, the longest lasting relationships I've had with people are the people who are like chosen family, you know? Um, and that would have been way to me, like 
if if it had been presented that way, like he's her chosen family, like mentor, right. guided her career, and right. you know everything that they work towards together, now she realizes is you know going to end the world. That is a way better like emotional backdrop to what she ultimately has to do that you don't get from like we were banging, <laughs> you know, like we I make know, I know, to like. So we're back on the bridge. Velocirena, our motley crew is being, they're getting closer to free cloud. They're getting confronted by holographic pop-ups um, that just like your internet browser know everything about them. So Rios is asked if he wants some help with his engine to which I would be like, I got like five fucking EMHs. What, what do I need? Um, Picard is invited to a tea. Gerardi gets offered a job from like, Remember those like old Mattel like battle yes. robots, those classic battle robots? Yeah. Um, Raffi gets an ad from Feely Snake Pit asking her if she wants to get high. Eleanor <laughs> does not get an ad and seems like really sad about it. Poor Eleanor. He, he has, he's grown on me as a character just because it's like the absurdity of his. I mean, he is filling the data position. He is, yes, yes. And I'm just always going to have a soft spot for, like, the character who's unable to understand the dynamics. (laughs) You know what Eleanor's ad should have been? Baking some fucking bread. Because he spent all his time training while all of the female ninja warriors spent all their time baking. So, you know, roles should have been reversed. Um, But anyway, Rafi, who's like master hacker, uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, locates Maddox by hacking into like, I guess FreeCloud has like a version of Silk Road. Um, And Bejazel is looking for a facer to broker a deal with the Tal Shiar. Unnecessary to me if you have a criminal enterprise, but okay. Um, because Bejazel is our supreme overlord of the Borg butcher gang, um, Seven offers to trade herself for Maddox on the assumption that Borg butcher Bejazel, say it five times fast, will be more interested in Seven than she will in Maddox, who is like a sad sack. Um, so the Lost Arena descends on Free Cloud. We finally get our first glimpse of Free Cloud. It looks like a goddamn nightmare. I mean, this is like, if that anxiety commercial with the multiple copies of The Woman were a city, it would be Free Cloud, <laughs> which, is, which is why I did not like it. Um, right. Although one of the neon signs is advertising an establishment called Mr. Mott's Hair Emporium, which is a big Easter egg because... On the Enterprise in TNG, the barber was Mr. Mott, and he was a Bolian, and the joke of it is that Bolians are bald. Um, I see. It was also pointed out to me, and I can't believe I missed it, that there's a Quarks. There's a Quarks on Free Cloud. Quark being the Quarks. Okay, so Quark was the Ferengi character on Deep Space Nine, who ran, like, the local gambling establishment. The next scene shows the Serena bunch beaming onto Free Cloud in some pretty ridiculous outfits. The aforementioned pimp in a bag costume. Um, Picard is wearing something ridiculous. And it's interspersed. The way that they shoot this, the way that Jonathan Frakes shoot this, shoots this, um, I liked it. Because what they're doing is they're like showing them beaming down on Free Cloud interspersed with cuts of them being outfitted for free cloud and kind of like explaining why they have to dress like morons 
facers dress flamboyantly because they don't want to be mistaken for the other side's facer, which... Which makes no sense. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Picard is wearing an eye patch and a cravat, and he sounds like that French knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay, so I had... A realization dawned upon me okay. watching this episode. Okay. Um, and I have, I mean, I guess it's a question. You might be able to answer this for me. Picard is French. Yes. Okay. And he's like actually French. Like his vineyard is in France. Yes. And so we're, we're to presume that he probably grew up on earth in France. <laughs> okay. He has a British accent. and when he dresses up as a weird 70s pimp pirate he has an exaggerated french accent i know (laughs) so like like why (laughs) for me it's really interesting we're gonna digress again i'm so sorry but like so i'm brazilian Mm -hmm. um and we do not venerate our colonizers, you know, like, <laughs> nobody is having a Portuguese accent, and that is, like, shorthand for them being smart, you know? Like, so why why do we love our colonial oppressors so much here in the United States? Well, because the British didn't colonially oppress us. We, we, we were I mean, the British. We fought a whole war. Yeah, but we had a political dispute with them. It wasn't like we were the natives and they came and decided that they were going to bring us closer to God and give us all smallpox and steal our children and send them to white people to be educated. But still, though, like if you if you're fighting a war against your you know colonizer to uh, obtain independence from them, it just seems silly. Like, I, I wonder if any I'm sure there is some like speech researcher or something I, I would be interested like I need to google this because why is it the thing, you know like why why are Narek and Nerissa vaguely British oh my god well no why? we discussed that because yeah. um I, I don't think that Harry Treadaway can do an American accent <laughs> <laughs> why is Picard vaguely British when he's French and then when he's French he's got a really silly accent <laughs> so okay so there's so there's two parts to your question the first part being why is the character of Picard French when the actor has a British accent the second part of your question being how was it that a French man assumes a French accent that is different than his normal speaking voice the right. second part of your question has no answer um <laughs> Like offensively French, like ha ha ha. <laughs> you and all your silly English The first part of your question, I, I don't know that I can give you an answer, but what I can give you is some history as to the character of Picard in the casting. So this is the part where I go to my Star Trek compendium and pull out some of the casting notes. So Please. Ew. Okay. The I, character... I feel like when we do this now, we need to have like a sound that drops in. It's like a magical sound. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sure access... I can find that. I'm sure like, I can find that. Accessing Cat's Compendium. <laughs> <laughs> the the character of John Lee Picard was originally named Julian Picard, and he was more of a French stereotype. Um, he was supposed to be like 
very proud of his French heritage and a passionate romantic and like really defensive about being French. And you, you see an echo of that in one very early season one episode, but that's really it. Um, I mean, I, like, no offense to the French, but, like, that, <laughs> you know, like, so, yeah. They, yeah, they didn't market for a French actor. Um, and, or, I'm sorry, they didn't market for a British actor either. It, it wasn't like, you know, oh, we need some Nazis. Let's just, uh, you know, cast some people with a British accent because that reads as foreign. No, it wasn't like that at all. Interestingly, um, Gene Roddenberry was really, really against Patrick Stewart coming into the role. Gene Roddenberry really wanted, like, the second coming of Kirk. And when you read the original casting notes about, like, the romantic and the swagger, you can you can really see that. Right. Um, it was one of the original producers of Next Generation, a guy named Bob Justman, who... They had auditioned a lot of actors. They had narrowed it down to a few, but they really hadn't found anybody that they loved and Bob Justman was I want to say he was like at UCLA and Patrick Stewart was there performing or giving a lecture or doing a play and Bob Justman was in the audience and he was like that's the guy that is the guy and he goes back to Gene Roddenberry and Gene Roddenberry is like that guy's bald (laughs) like no no he's not gonna happen um Bob Justman really pushed for Patrick Stewart to get an audition and as a matter of fact at one point in time he was like at least bring him in to read for data and yeah they finally brought him in to read for Picard, um, but Roddenberry was like, he's got to wear a wig. So Patrick Stewart did have a toupee, and they flew his toupee in from London. So, oh he, could do, so he could do this audition in the toupee. Um, and he does the audition, and he's he's really, really good. Um, Roddenberry is still very hesitant, and finally they convince Roddenberry, like, okay, bring him back for a callback, ditch the toupee. And he winds up getting the role. Um, there were a lot of really interesting actors who were up for the role of Picard. Um, Patrick Bachau, who is a French... He, he's very worldly. I think he was born in Belgium. Um, he does speak fluent French. And I think he was a Bond villain at some point in time. Because I saw a picture of him and I, I recognized the face, although I had no idea what the name was. Um, Yafet Kato from Homicide, Life on the Streets. Uh, I know I saw that series, but I don't think I recall. Yeah, he would have been a really interesting choice. Mitch Ryan, who has been in like a million different things. If you saw his face, you would imagine him like playing some general chomping on a cigar and like barking orders at people. He actually wound up playing Riker's uh, shitty dad. Oh. Um, and Edward James Olmos, who actually turned down the role. He got offered the role and turned it down interesting yeah so i mean it's this whole idea of you know they had the name and they had the stereotype but they weren't necessarily looking for somebody who who fit that bill yeah Um, yeah so and obviously patrick stewart gets cast and they wind up going a completely different direction with the character and thank god they did you know yeah Um, yeah no i mean i i love his character yeah i just thought it was so silly because it's like but he is French and he has <laughs> a British accent and now he's saying ha ha ha. Poor Elnor, he of the way of the absolute candor, uh, cannot simply comprehend that Rios is merely pretending to be a facer because, you know, what is a lie? <laughs> um, Rafi gives him a pet talk and is like, you need to be less emo. 
So Rios beams down to a club where the club goers are dressed in like future club wear. Um, some of it is pretty standard stuff, sequins, mini dresses you could get off the rack at H&M. Some of it's really cool, like holographic halos, holographic angel wings. I actually oh, have that a, was pretty oh cool. Oh my God, that's so cool. It was like the 24th century of like being in a cage and sucking on a pacifier and playing with glow sticks and being high on E. <laughs> oh, I have a question. I have a question for you. Okay. Are E and Molly the same thing? Yes. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah, I, I think the kids are just coming up with different names for it now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Rios runs snack into the thing, who is a sentient reptiloid. Um, apparently they they failed in their bid to take over Earth via the Illuminati, so they all had to go back to Free Cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's yes. conspiracy theory just yes. right there. It's right in there. <laughs> just yep. Um, <laughs> yes. So he can smell a lie. The sentient reptiloid can smell a lie, which is why um, Gerardi had injected Rios with this concoction that Rafi had made. It is a truly amazing sounding cocktail of beta blockers, benzos, and antiolytics, which I don't think are real, to basically like chill him out. Yeah. Oh, God. That sounds so great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, a glass of red wine will do it for me, but this cocktail, wow. (laughs) Um, This scheme also involves a transporter pattern enhancer, which I love because one of the things the show does really well is, like, update the technology. You know, we talked a little bit about the holographic computers, and um, later we'll see an episode where Picard's like, I don't know how to work these. But so that the pattern the uh, transporter pattern enhancer in this series is this little gizmo that fits into Raffi's palm. 30 years ago on TNG, the pattern enhancers were these big fucking cones on stilts that they had to set up around the perimeter of whatever they wanted to transport. They looked like, you know, like you're driving down the road and you see people like with those land surveyors, you know, yes, that's what they looked yes. like. So I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, that um, is cool. Yeah, so now we get the dumbest fucking subplot where Raffi goes to visit her son. He lives on Free Cloud. He is expecting a baby with his Romulan wife. He's played by Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. Oh, I thought he looked a little bit familiar. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wasn't crazy about him. I, I thought he played this part a bit it's too snarly. Too much. Yeah. Much of a curled upper lip, you know. He doesn't want to see her because Raffi's obsession with rooting out the truth behind the synth ban caused her to abandon her family. And which doesn't make Yeah. Okay. So like <laughs> it's fine as far as explaining why Raffi self-medicates with drugs, but there's this other angle to Raffi, which is like Raffi loves a mystery and Raffi is obsessed with finding out the truth behind the synth ban. And this show keeps telling us that, but it doesn't it does nothing to show it. It's like, why? And, you know, we had the one episode where, you know, we had the flashback to when Picard actually resigned. And Rafi's like, no, yeah, the tell Shar was behind. It's like, how do you know? Right. Why do you think right. that? And right. they never go into that. And it was stupid because to me, that is a far more interesting angle to explore than 
she self-medicates. Right. You know, and... I think the only episode I recall where this was even sort of addressed was she, you know, her hatred for Picard was so intense, but her interest in, like, finding out the truth about this, like, overrode her hatred for Picard. And that was the only time that we saw, you know, like, her being tempted to look at the information that he had and that sort of thing. But that, I mean, otherwise... And that, to me isn't enough to support the backstory that you've ruined your family because of your singular belief that, you know, this was a conspiracy. Yeah. It's like, what, what were you doing? You know, were you like sitting behind your laptop at all hours of the night when you right. should have like, now I thought that's what marriage was. <laughs> One partner's on the couch watching a stupid show. The other one's playing on their phone. Then again, I'm getting divorced. What the hell do I know? Uh, that's how my marriage also was, and I am also divorced. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Well, maybe there's hope for us yet. Yes. At FreeCloud, your baby is our baby. So I saw this, and um, definitely designer babies, I think, is what we're supposed to be getting from that. And okay. Um, I'm okay with it. <laughs> So back to our show, um, Gerardi has been left on the La Serena to tend to the transporter and she's freaking out and she keeps muttering over and over, I can do this, I can do that. Um, it's not the transporting she's worried about, but we don't find that out until later. And she is so fucking freaked out that the EMH appears and is like, what the fuck's going on with you psychiatrically? I feel like you should not be able to deactivate the EMH that is assisting you with your psychiatric emergency. <laughs> yeah, or or at least there should be some kind of protocol. Because, like, I can see 400 years in the future, like, it being legal to go full Kevorkian. But, <laughs> you know, like, if you need the authorization of two senior officers to blow up the ship, maybe there should be some kind of senior protocol to, like, blow yourself up. Now, I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Um, Seven is brought down to Free Cloud and presented as the trade for Maddox, but Bejazel senses a trap. So I feel like we should insert some kind of vaginal Venus flytrap pitcher plant joke here, but I, don't, I, I can't come up with one. With one. It's late. I'm getting tired. So she has her goons pull their guns on everyone. And she calls Seven Annika, which is interesting because Seven does not go by Annika. And they trade like these very soap opera style dramatic looks and expressions. Um, The backstory here is Bejazel got Seven to trust her and then betrayed her. And Seven was the one that got away. And there's a lot of very obvious um, they were fucking subtext. Anyway, Seven busts out of her fake handcuffs and grabs Vajazzle because her intention all along was to exact her revenge. Um, they go and they get Maddox, and Maddox sees Picard, and he's like, hey, Picard. Which, I mean, okay, you met Picard once. When you met him, he was literally defending Data in a trial for Data's life. He basically, like, single-handedly stopped you from getting the thing you wanted most in the whole wide world and pursuing your robotic dreams. But he's just like, oh, hey, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm Good like, see you. What's up? 
So I'll let 30 years go by next time. Yeah, but but you know, then I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, when when Maddox was creating Dodge, he did program Dodge to break the glass and grab a card in case of an emergency. Um, why? You know, and so I, if you have to examine his thought proceeding, okay, he would have known data was dead at the time that he was creating these. They were created with data's robo DNA, so to speak. So I, I guess he like chose the person that data was closest to, hoping that like if these girls were activated, that Picard would be able to figure it out and help them. Right. So maybe that kind of added to the familiarity, but it was it was still pretty dumb. Why was Soji not programmed to find Picard? Because she was like hella fucking suspicious of Picard. Dodge was all like everything in my body says to come find you so she was like i don't fucking trust you yeah and wasn't that she was already activated by that point she was she was already yeah activated. she had like punched through that floor plot holes yeah and i mean it's possible that you know soji or you know dodge was on earth so maybe she was programmed to find somebody who was on earth maybe soji was programmed to find like some other person but yeah no i think it's a plot hole i these androids are really not as fancy as we originally thought. And when we get to episode seven, it becomes so fucking obvious how. Yeah, this goes down quick. Oh, like, God. This I know. gets much worse. It really does. But this is this is a um, actually they're not in this episode. No Soji, no Narek. Yeah, it's an Eric free episode. So nice. So they grab Maddox and they head back to the ship. Um, Picard gives one of his speeches to Seven about like, murder is bad. Be moral. And she's like, do, do, do. Okay. You uh, convinced me. Um, so we're back on the ship and uh, Picard, who is like now replaced the EMH as the ship's doctor, announces that Maddox is in bad shape. He's suffering from... I just can't. He's suffering from dehydration and exposure, even though he was like on a in couch, an office in a dark room, room in an office. Essentially, <laughs> but he's got exposure. He's like in a closet. <laughs> this show. <laughs> so bad. Oh my god. Um, Seven goes to Free Cloud. She starts shooting Bejazel's guards. Um, Bejazel admits to like stealing Seven's hope and innocence. Um, and Seven's like, yeah, you did. And boom, she vaporizes Bejazel, um, who explodes into a cloud of Bejazel sequins. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> been a fitting ending i feel like it would have been and that really would have been full circle yeah um we go back to sick bay maddox is not doing well he has massive abdominal hemorrhaging i guess they were they must have been like kicking him around or something like that yeah, but I, did they beat him up pretty good yeah they did yeah, yeah. and yeah. he's an older gentleman so right right <laughs> <laughs> um maddox susses out that dodge is dead he confirms that Dodge and Soji's mom is an embedded AI, which we kind of knew. Yeah. Um, Maddox tells Picard where to find Soji, and he confirms that he sent Dodge to Earth and Soji to the artifact to find the truth out about the synth fan. Okay, but like how and why? Right. I, I assume that Soji is on the artifact to be around the disordered because, as we will learn later, they're all assimilated Jot Vosh. 
which kind of makes sense why she would be there then. But like, how does Maddox know that? Right. That is a really bothersome plot hole, especially since we find out that he's been on some fucking remote planet for 14 years building robots. Right. So that bothers me a lot. Um, Picard leaves to tell Rios that they need to go into Romulan space, and Rios says this will double his fee. How is he being paid? There's no money. <laughs> How is he being paid? Mermaid trinkets. Mermaid tra- Mermaid paraphernalia, yes. Oh, my God. Ugh. Oh, Raffi's back on the ship. Didn't go well with uh, him. Yeah. yeah. Again, don't care. Yeah. So, like, so don't care about that entire plot line at all. I know. I know. Um... Maddox and Agnes are in sickbay. They're sharing a tender moment. Maddox describes Dodge and Soji as perfectly imperfect, um, a point with which I would beg to differ. (laughs) Maddox tells Gerardi that her contribution to creating them was essential. And Gerardi responds by fucking murdering him. Okay, now I will admit that at the time, Like, at the time that I saw this episode and had no idea what was coming down the pike for the rest of the season, I actually liked this twist. Um, Okay. All right. So when I saw that in your notes, like, you liked the shit. (laughs) 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 But now it makes sense what you're – yes, yes. When when it happened, it was like, whoa, didn't see that coming um, at all. But then the way it pans out for the rest of the show makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And maybe it makes more sense for us to discuss this in a different episode. But, like, to me, this plot line twist is so contrived because if you know a secret that blew your mind to the extent that you kill your, like, lover, professor, whatever... Um, you don't just like get over it in a couple of episodes and you know, like, and then be like, okay, this, I thought this problem was so insurmountable that I had to murder somebody. Um, even though I, you know, like, I'm not like villanelle, you know, I'm not like a <laughs> sociopath, a psychopath, a person who's not going to feel any feelings after killing like a loved one. And right. she like murders him and it's like, womp, womp. Right. And and that's and that's something that the show really struggled with at the end of the series, because like for the first eight episodes, it's trying to be like dark prestige television serialized. And it it does have its moments of success. Like there are few and far between, but it does have its moments of success. And then episodes nine and ten, it's like we're back to like monster of the week, you know, old timey season one and two TNG Agnes fucking murders a guy and everybody forgets about it, you know? Exactly. Like, I mean, and she's not like struggling with it. It's like, she's essentially an intellectual, like she's a professional, right? Right. Right. Um, If I killed someone because if I killed, I don't know, my (laughs) ex-husband. Bad example. (laughs) Um, No, if I, you know, like, so I I see Agnes is me, you know, Agnes is me, Agnes is you. Uh, She's like a person that we would probably know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know anybody who would be like, yeah, cool, killed someone, totally good, uh, had this secret that blew my mind, but now my mind's not blown anymore and I'm totally on board with all of this. Right, right. And then it's cool. <laughs> Not only is the assassination cool, like what's offensive to me is the b- 
basis for the assassination eventually becomes not a problem. Um, but I, as we talked about before, I think we can both agree that the best part of this episode was no Narek and no Soji. That's true. No oh, sliding, through, one other no sliding through board hallways in your socks. I did not miss that shit. No, I'm no. glad that we didn't have to deal with them in this episode. But one more thing about okay. murdering Maddox. <laughs> How does that help the anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good question I mean <laughs> like if the secret that is going to blow your mind is the ten robot tentacle arms from space <laughs> <laughs> but I get you know I guess they thought like we have to get rid of him so he doesn't make more robots because we're trying to get rid of all the robots and I guess as far as they know because so why not kill Agnes too? That's a good question. Right? I don't know. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, but you kill everybody involved in the project. Well, because they knew that she had basically just fucked her way to the top and had no actual... <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it all makes sense. Now it all makes sense, yes. But anyway, so let's let's talk about the, uh, the Bechdel test. Okay-ish as far as Bechdel episodes go, and uh, you know, as a reminder, our, our bar for this is pretty fucking low. Yeah, that's, um, it's like eh, okay, passes. Yeah, <laughs> Rafi and Seven talk about being a Fenris Ranger. Seven and Bejazel talk. They superficially are talking about Egypt, but mostly they're talking about their relationship. Um, Rafi has a very brief scene with her daughter-in-law, and they talk about her pregnancy. Although I'm not sure that that counts because isn't the son for the daughter-in-law. We don't get a name for the daughter-in-law, and I think the son is also in that scene. He is. Yeah. And he's, like, protectively standing next to her, like, this <laughs> this woman is incubating my brood. <laughs> Stand back. All right, so that's, a, that's our show. Yet another middling installment of Star Trek Picard. We're, we're on our way to the end. The end is nigh yeah and and what's really what's really interesting about the last couple of episodes is like episode six i thought was actually pretty good episode seven um is like my fucking jam i actually oh, yeah 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 i mean for obvious reasons i actually will sometimes still go back and like play that episode but like only the Riker and Troy scenes like sometimes <laughs> like before i fall asleep i'm like i just want to feel good you know um <laughs> and then after that it just takes a sharp fucking nosedive and I I just you know there's a lot of things on this world in this world that offends me um the Republican Party um white girls throwing birthday parties for their dogs um (laughs) Picard dying in the arms of anybody who was not a fucking member of the USS Enterprise All right, so thanks for listening, all five or six of you. Um, <laughs> Apple Podcast Analytics says it's five. Um, <laughs> but two of those people are definitely me and you. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>